we're in a part of the Lord's Prayer where we come to uh, a phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And last week we looked at your kingdom come, and we're going to look at the rest of that line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But when I think of the will of kings or kingdoms, the first initial thought I have is primarily a negative one, unfortunately, that comes to mind. You think about kings in the story and movie Braveheart, a negative one. You think of the Little Mermaid, negative one. We were watching it last night. It's the, the will of the, the kings and rulers, negative primarily. Or one of the things that I'm not only discipling my kids to know and love Jesus, I wanted to disciple them to know and love Star Wars. So I've been doing that really well. And I've been watching all the, the original. Actually, I watched for the first time myself too, the cartoon uh, ones that, you know, Clone Wars and we're trying to watch through Rebels right now. But if you, if you know the, the world of uh, Star Wars, the, the will of rulers and emperors within that storyline is also primarily a negative one. I immediately think of uh, Palpatine and his call to clone Cody telling him to execute Order 66, which turns all the clones against the Jedi's brands them enemies of the Republic. In history, when you read about the decrees of kings as they lay claim to land or human leaders declaring royal decrees, they often lead to disastrous results, which is why it's hard when we come to this part of the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. Maybe we read it or hear it so frequently, we don't see how powerful and how in many ways dangerous this statement is to say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a, quite a difficult phrase to say genuinely and to pray authentically. I, I was writing this sermon on Friday morning and I got a call from one of our elders, Jason, and he was experiencing chest pain. He had to go to the emergency room on Friday. I was praying for him. We, we talked and then as I was done, I was continuing to pray for him. I was in the middle of writing this and I realized if I want to pray God's will be done in his life, it means actually maybe surrendering my will for him and not getting my will for him to the will of this king who leads and loves and cares for him because his desires for what is going to happen in this emergency situation may not actually be my desires. I found in that very, very moment, your will be done is a very difficult prayer to pray because my desire, my will for my friend, for our elder Jason was very different in that moment. He ended up being okay. He ended up having uh, not what he thought, which was a mini heart attack, but he still has other health challenges. We're praying for him. He's, I was hoping to come to church today. I told him, take it easy. He's going through some pain physically. Um, but praying your will be done is difficult because if we're honest, often we don't want God's will to be done or we don't agree with his will. So we resist his will or we resent his will. We're going through this Lord's Prayer, and if you've noticed, and we've said this a couple of times, but hopefully this helps you kind of categorize the structure. And there's structure at a bigger level, there's structure at individual levels, but one higher level structure for the Lord's Prayer is the first half of it is about God. It's to center our hearts, our minds, our being on God. It starts with His name, His kingdom, His will. That's all before we actually get to our daily bread and getting to our forgiveness and our help for getting out of temptation and protection. This is important that we start with the Lord because that's what prayer ultimately is. Prayer is not some kind of secret uh, formula or magic to get from God what he 
doesn't want to give it to us. Prayer is aligning ourselves to God. Because that's actually where human flourishing occurs. Think about space and orbits. If the moon is knocked off its orbit, it would cause universal damage. It would cause catastrophic universal problems for our solar system. Our hearts were made to orbit God. And in the same way, when we're off, it causes disaster at cosmic levels. It causes problems not only within the individual life, it causes havoc as it orbits wrongly and crashes into other things that it should not be crashing into. Prayer, then, is aligning our hearts to get back into orbit, to center and our lives around the Lord, to correctly surround ourselves with the Lord's will. And that's what we're going to look at today. Your will be done. Ask and answer three questions to help us understand this short but very difficult phrase. What is the will of God at a, at a bigger level? What or how did Jesus pray your will be done? And last, how do we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is the will of God gener generally? How did Jesus pray your will be done? And then how do we then pray your will be done? Praying God's will be done is radical. It is a dangerous prayer that is difficult for us because when you pray your kingdom come, you pray his will be done, it is actually letting go of the ways that we believe to be right and holding on then to God's will and way. What is the will of God? It's a very common question as I've meet with people over time, as they're wrestling with different decisions in their life. People always want to know, what's, what's God's will for my life? Maybe you've asked that question. And what most people think of when they're asking the question, what is God's will for my life? They're trying to understand God's hidden will for their life that he hasn't revealed to you yet. And I think there's this misunderstanding, a wrong understanding that there's a singular path for your life and you don't walk, if you don't walk in line with that singular will, you kind of miss his blessing. If that's your thinking of God's will, you'll find that it's never described that way in the Bible. There are a myriad of decisions that you will ask in your life and you are, or you have to make in your life and many questions you'll ask where you are not going to have a specific answer that this is according to God's will. You have to use scripture people in your life, the Spirit asking God for wisdom to help you understand. That's God's hidden will rather than his revealed will. You actually see in the Bible, we have a lot of revealing of God's will in Scripture. I think where we end up getting wrong is that we want to know God's hidden will more than we spend time getting to know his revealed will to us. We spend more time trying to discover things that he doesn't tell us than actually trying to obey the very things he has told us to do. Uh, when you look at scripture, God's will is not used universally the same way. There's at least three bigger ways that the Bible uses God's will. And maybe this will be helpful for us to categorize this and understand how to pray your will be done, because I believe it's one particular way. You think about God's will. First, it's his sovereign will. So you think about Genesis 1 and 2, as we looked at last week, and saw that this is a decree of a king. The creation account is an expression of God's sovereign will. He speaks, he creates, it bends to his will. The only reason anything exists at all is because 
he speaks and makes. And then anything that is actually maintained and sustained in this world from the smallest atom to the largest political power at any particular time is sustained by the will of God. And so you read in Ephesians 1, 11, Paul tells us, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is God's sovereign will. You see this throughout scripture. He speaks, he, he acts, and it happens. Another way to think about God's will, in addition to his sovereign will, refers to his commandments, or the things he calls for his creation to do. It's his revealed will. The Ten Commandments is just one example of what he calls us to do. He calls us to also repent and believe in the gospel. He calls us to confess our sins. These are all revealed commands that God calls us to do. That is another way to think about God's will. There's a third way. It could also just mean his, his desires, God's disposition. What pleases God? And so you read in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That verse there can't refer to God's sovereign will, that none will perish, because that's not the case. It also can't be about commandments there, because that would mean that he states no one should perish, and if anyone perishes, that's sin. That doesn't make any sense. This has to be about God's desire. He doesn't want anyone to perish. That's his disposition towards his creation. That's important to think about God's will, at least in those three categories. Scholars break it down even further to make it more complicated, but at least that's three ways to think about God's will in scripture. It's his sovereign will, it's his commands, or it's just God's desires. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? He adds the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, and I think that's a clue to understand what he means here when he says, your will, God's will. Because this means, it can't be the sovereign will, because he almost is describing a discrepancy between heaven and earth there, right? But God's sovereign will, no matter where he declares his will, whether it's in heaven or on earth or under the earth, anywhere his sovereign will is actually carried out, it happens. Nothing stops God's sovereign will. So there's no discrepancy. So I don't think he's describing our attention to be on God's sovereign will here. Although that's a, probably a good reminder. We need to often be reminded of God's sovereign will. Just like Job and his friends, as they were praying about Job's circumstance and they're trying to give him bad advice. And then finally, verse or chapter 38, God breaks in. He, he just reminds them, were you there when I've laid the foundations of the earth? That's God's sovereign will. Often we do need reminders of that. But because of that on earth as it is in heaven discrepancy, implied there, I don't think it's God's sovereign will that he's encouraging us to pray. I, I really think it's primarily God's revealed will, his commandments, because they are perfectly obeyed in, in heaven. But God's revealed will is not perfectly obeyed on earth. And so he's praying on in heaven or on earth as it is in heaven to try and bridge this gap of alignment and obedience to God's revealed will in scripture. Praying your will be done means getting back into orbit, reshaping our hearts to center around God where we obey the things that God calls us to. Just as the angels forever will obey God's commands in heaven, that on earth, humanity would begin to align themselves by reorbiting around our Lord and creator. And so that's what I believe we are praying for when we pray your will be done. 
that our hearts would align obediently to the things that God has revealed to us. Now, we have more to dig into when it comes to this prayer because this line is the one line of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus prays on, in his earthly life on his own behalf. And so I think it's important for us to dig in to how he also prayed, your will be done, as he's referring to the Father. It's the only prayer we have that he prays as an example for us. There's two places you can look at Matthew or Luke's gospel. I want to look at Luke's version in chapter 22, verses 40 to 44. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from, there, them, from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus is not saying here as he's conversing and praying to the Father, I don't want to obey or I resent you or I refuse to submit. He, but he's saying, all things considered, I'd rather not do it this particular way. What you set before me is, is overwhelming to me. I, I'm terrified. But if this is what you want, I'll obey. Because I know it is for your glory and for my good. His prayers were so agonizing, he began to sweat blood, which is a medical condition known as hematohydrosis, which comes from human extreme stress where you actually sweat blood. Now, if you really read Matthew's versions of, of this prayer in the garden, you miss verse 43, that there appeared to him an angel in, in Luke's account. And I think that's the answer. You don't have a verbal answer there. But getting the strength from the angel is the father's way of saying, you must drink this cup, but I'll be with you. It's also God's promise to us that even though he calls us to carry out his will in our life at certain times where it's against our own desires, that he is always there to strengthen us. And Jesus drank that cup to the last drop. He gave his life as an example of what it means to fully obey God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus perfectly obeyed and lived a life according to the will of the Father. He, he became man. I often say it this way. It's like an author who once said, it's like the shoemaker becoming a shoe. It's that mind-boggling. The creator would become part of his creation. And he lived a life of no sin. He experienced all of the sin that we have brought into the world, all of the brokenness, all of the hunger, all of that, all of the distance between humanity, all of that. And he humbled himself. He obeyed the will of the Father to the point of death on a cross. Amazing. We, Jesus is not asking us when, we ask, when he asks us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to pray something he has not already done, especially that he's already done for us. No matter how rebellious you have been according to God's will and running from it or resenting it or disobeying it, it's a reminder to us as we see Jesus praying, your will be done, that he's paid it all. He obeyed where you could not. He went to die where God has now called you to die. He said, I will die in your place because of this sin. Salvation is not just Jesus dying for our sins in our place, 
It's actually also then remembering and seeing the scandalous grace, all of that perfection, all of that obedience to the will of the Father. He also credits that to us. And so when we pray, your will be done, the only power we have to actually even pray that is the fact that Jesus has done that on our behalf. That's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's, we get that part. He's our sacrifice. I think most people understand salvation from that perspective, that he dies, he pays our debt, but also that we might become the righteousness of God. That means all of Jesus' obedience, all of his willingness to follow and obey the will of the Father, that's credited to you. So the Father looks at you as if you obey because of Christ. That is what it means to be his son and daughter. That's what it means to be his citizen in his kingdom. Until we see that Jesus obeyed the will of God on our behalf, what we failed, there's not going to be strength and power to pray your will be done because you will either rebel, you will resist, or you will resent the will of the Father. Without trusting Jesus, you're going to be terrified of the judgment of God, you're going to rebel against the Father, or you're going to resent him because you don't like his will. It's when you begin to see that Jesus prayed one of the most difficult parts of this prayer in his own life, where you're going to be having the strength to pray your will be done on earth, in my life, in my city, in my church, in our world, as it is in heaven. That's when you freely want to actually follow his will. How do we then pray? So what's the will of the, the Father? What's the will of God? And we looked at that. In this particular instance, I believe it's his revealed will. It's the things that he calls us to in scripture to obey and having more orbit alignment in our life and in this world. We see that Jesus prays this, and this is important because if Jesus didn't pray this, if Jesus doesn't take this on in himself, there is no way that we will ever pray genuinely, your will be done. Think about our culture today. It's, it's very easy. If you, if you go to another place in the world and you tell them one of the very common American like you know, slogans, your way right away. Remember what brand that used that? I think it's Burger King, right? That, you know, that's a distillation of the larger American narrative, which is you get to determine everything in your life. And as time goes on, what you see is increasing individualism, where if you look at 50 years ago, people still thought of their families and their communities, and they, they thought communally. But over time, you see this hyper-individualism exponentially get stronger and stronger. And so you see that happening. And so if you become the determination of what's right, and you see this happening when it comes to sexuality, you see this happening in business, you see this everywhere in our culture, where if you are the sitting on the throne, no one else can sit on it. Look at what happens in our world, in our life. How else are you going to pray, your will be done? It's very challenging to pray that unless you see Jesus as having prayed that in the most dramatic way on your behalf to the cross. Well, how do we pray this? How do we wrestle through this? First, this may be overly simple, but I think it's needing to be stated. You need to learn his revealed will in his word. The primary way he reveals his will to us is in this book. He has given to us everything we need to live a human life that is full of abundance and flourishing. He has given us everything in this book to experience restoration, living life 
for eternity, experiencing everything we desire. Everything you need as a human to be right with God and right with other people is here. It's in this book, everything. So I think the challenge is we, we need to stop fixating on future things that he doesn't spend time revealing to us and prioritize spending more time on understanding and getting into our hearts the revealed will that he's given to us. Scripture is the very breath of the living God. God used human authors, empowers them by the Holy Spirit to, compute, to communicate to us perfectly his will. Ultimately, we see that the scriptures are about God saving humanity through Jesus. And then throughout this story, we see examples of commands, wisdom, songs, all of this to tell us what it means to live for his glory and our good. The Bible contains so much about his will. But I think as our time gets increasingly more individualistic and as our time increasingly is less and less Christian, we, we aren't saturated in his word anymore. And so we don't know his will anymore. That's why, as we started this series, it's amazing that just in June on Jeopardy, there was the question, it, the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father in heaven, blank be your name. And they didn't know. Because increasingly, we do not know the Lord. And increasingly, then, we do not know his will. If you want to pray your will be done, we have to actually know and saturate our hearts with his will. His will tells us we are to love our enemies. He tells us that and he shows us that because his son loves his enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. He's not asking us just to do that on our own. Jesus said on the cross, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God's will for us is that we would give thanks to God in all circumstances. God desires for you to ask for wisdom when you don't have it. God's will for you is to confess your sins because he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you and make you righteous. God's will for you is to be generous to the poor. His will for you is to make disciples. His will for you is to enjoy sexuality in the context of a one-man, one-woman marriage. He calls for you. His will is to avoid sexual sin. It literally attaches sexual sin to his will in 1 Thessalonians. First, I can say that word, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That literally attaches that to his will. Do we know his will? If you want to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, increasingly we need to remind ourselves that we don't actually know God's will as much. Or we need reminders of it because we've chosen to prioritize ours against his. We need the regular reminder of his will. That may be a simple one that may be like a, you know, a Sunday school answer, you know, Bible or Jesus. But I think it's a very good reminder for us that we need to understand his will. I think another aspect of praying your will be done is understanding this is where I don't have too much time to unpack this, but I think maybe this is on your minds. You need to ask for wisdom when it's not clear, but you also must be willing to obey when it becomes clear. We're not always told from this scripture how his will applies specifically to every single circumstance in the world. That's where wisdom comes in. That's where counsel, wise counsel from trusted brothers and sisters, that's where the Holy Spirit, that's where his word begins to give us a framework of thinking. We're not always told specifically how to apply his will into a particular circumstance. So I'll give you an example. One thing I constantly need in my life, I know is God's will for me that I 
often do resent and I wrestle with and I struggle with is humility. Not which is, could be defined, and look at Jesus' life, it's not only looking to your interest, but the interest of others. That's one way to define humility. I know that's God's will in my life, and I run from that very often. And the place I run from that the most often is in my family. Uh, we were trying to plan our October, which is increasingly busier and busier for various reasons of trips and activities and sports and everything coming around. And we were trying to plan an, an elder retreat. Uh, and I, I was looking at our different weekends where we could do that. And well, there's one weekend where I know that there was a, a, a wedding uh, for Jeanette's cousin or a second cousin uh, coming up. And I was, I was just like, I messaged her kind of just without thinking about the wedding and importance of that to her. I just said, well, what if I just don't go to the wedding? I'm just going to plan our elder retreat that weekend. I was like, well, we just do that. I didn't have a conversation with her at all. And I, I was, then she kind of rightly kind of put me in my place and challenged me on that. Like, well, what if, why is there no priority for this? And I, I got frustrated because now I'm like, my, my will's not being done. And I'm like, well, I was trying to find a way out of that wedding, right? So I was trying to plan this elder retreat around this wedding. And I have really good reasons why I don't like weddings anymore. Um, so if you want me to do your wedding, don't ask me. I will say no. Um, no, I'll try and be nice. I said yes to some weddings, but you know, I don't like weddings anymore. Um, they're very long. They're just so long. Like, I'm going to rant a little bit here, but like, and whenever I'm asked to do weddings, then I have to drive forever on a, on a Friday in the middle of the day across the Bay Area and like do a rehearsal that I don't even need to be there because it's no point for me to be there. And then like, I have to go and get up, get there really early on Saturday and then I'm all day. And then I'm like, you know, then my kids, because I probably bring them and then they complain because we never stay for dancing and they get mad at me because I have to go to church the next morning. So I never want to stay that late. And so this wedding thing just ends up being frustrating to me. Uh, I, I, I'm being a little honest here. I, I, if you are my close friend, like I think I'm looking at one of my close friends, I will, I love, I want to go to your wedding. <laughs> but like, if I, like, even then I'm still going to complain about it in my heart a little bit. I just won't complain it to you. Um, I'm thinking all this and my, and I'm trying to plan my October. I'm giving you an example. And I know God's will is humility. Do not consider only your own interests. Love your wife. And she wants to go to this wedding. It's a cousin. It's important to her. She wants to connect the family. Uh, so I just, I rearrange my calendar begrudgingly. So that's what ends up happening. But I, I realized, see, this is the challenge, right? I, I sensed even in that my own heart. And I, I realized I need to prioritize this because the Spirit's pressing into my heart. I realizing, oh, this is one place I'm supposed to apply humility in my life. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, Joey, you need to prioritize this wedding in your life. But I know God desires for humility in my life. And as the spirit presses, as my wife challenges me, as I'm trying to wrestling and submitting this, even my calendar, I had to realize this is one expression of me obeying his will on earth as it is in heaven because I'm prioritizing things that I don't want to for the good of others and my wife especially. There are many, many places in your life where you're trying to apply God's will to a circumstance that isn't entirely clear. That's when you ask for wisdom. That's when you ask for counsel. That's when you begin to sit there and meditate and understand the will of the Lord because it's not always a one-to-one -one circumstance. Need more time on that, but that's all the time I got for that. I think another part of praying your will be done on earth as in heaven is to just recognize that we're going to have a hard time with this. 
And God is okay with the honesty. I think Jesus models that there. He, he, he says, all things considered, if there is another way to carry out salvation and your will and the glory, your glory and, and the salvation of mankind, let's, let's do it that way. He, he, he wrestled, and I think that's where we need to wrestle with this. And I think we need to just be more honest on how hard it is to pray this. We often, I think our modus operandi for God's will is to resist it and resent it. I, I saw it just this Friday. I was trying to pray, your will be done, as my elder's life was in his hands, and I did not want to actually consider the fact that God may take him home. I don't want that will. And I realize how much I resent and resist. And I have to wrestle with it. And God can handle that from my struggle if I'm honest about that. I think many of us get into this practice of relating to God that's way too courteous that the scriptures never even give us. We're never honest enough with anyone else or ourselves even. But we need to be honest. God can handle that. Some of us are resisting. And I think you need to wrestle with this. And not just pretend or make excuses and just be honest that this is a struggle and God wants us to see this in our own hearts and he wants to be with us in this struggle. Some of you, i just give you multiple examples and see how we're just struggling as a people and as a church. Some of you are resisting God's will for community. You're trying to live the Christian life as a sole Lone Ranger Christian. You're by yourself. You have no informal or formal community. You don't have any people anymore. You've reduced what it means to follow Jesus to consuming a live stream and never having any other kind of relationship with the Lord. That's, that's just enough. That's a resistance of the will of God for community, for life on life, for a carrying of burdens, for a sacrifice of time, energy, and resources, for the helping of others. If you are primarily by yourself, and you can do that not just online, you can do that here where you just consume religious services. You come here, you drop off your children, you just run away really quickly, never contribute anything. That is a Lone Ranger Christianity where it's just consumption. That is avoiding the will of the Lord if you know his will. It is resisting his will. It's avoiding people, merely attending a service where that's never described to us as God's will. God's will is for you to, to bear the burdens of brothers and sisters. God's will is for you to experience people caring for you. God's will is for you to experience intimacy with other brothers and sisters where you can share sins and they preach the gospel to you and lay forgiveness that is a reminder of the grace of God on you. Those are all true of us and we resist God's will. Maybe this is a big one. You're rebelling against God's will in your sexual indulgence outside of God's plan for sex and marriage between a man and a woman. And there's many ways we do that. We resist the will of God to flee. Many of us who have been Christians a long time, who continue to nurture sexuality that is outside of God's will, we have come up with all kinds of ways to rationalize that in our life. But what we're doing is just merely resisting the will of God to flee from sexual immorality. And then we're out of orbit, and then we begin to wonder why our orbit is causing chaos in our lives. Maybe you're resisting God's will in your marriage and you're harboring bitterness, not just for a day or two, but years. And you've not legally gotten divorced, but you've lived an, an irreconciled marriage. That is outside the will of God. Or maybe you have a, a friend that's hurt you and you've harbored unforgiveness for a decade. 
That's outside of the will of God. This is why praying your will be done is a difficult, dangerous prayer. It's a radical prayer because it involves a reorientation of our personal sovereignty to let it go and say, your will is better. We just need to be honest. Most of the time we resist it. We still want to sit on the throne. We still declare my way is the best way. We need to be much more honest about this and stop pretending as if something, everything is okay and be courteous about our resistance to the will of God. One of the reasons I think there's not a depth of maturity in our Christian life or a depth in the church is because we're not honest about this wrestle with God's will. We're okay and we're satisfied with superficial ways of engaging with God, but we're not actually willing to wrestle with the hard parts of submission to his will. A third way we pray your will be done, it means willing to submit to suffering. In our lives, it is a given, and especially the longer you live, there will be more and more suffering. It's just the way it is. None of us ever, I don't think you will ever pray for pain and suffering, right? No one prays, Father, would you give me unemployment that makes me cause, cause, causes me to question my identity and my worth, that I would be struggling financially for the next two years? No one prays that. No one prays, would my significant other, significant other leave me and leave me lonely and, and frustrated and, and depressed? No one prays, if it's your will, have my fiance, when I ask her to marry me, say no, slap me in the face, run away with the ring. No one prays that. No one prays as a married couple, if it's your will, will we have a horrible marriage so that on our honeymoon, my husband would sleep on the sofa. No one prays that. No parent prays, if, it, if it's your will, Father, will my kids grow up to be little monsters? Well, you don't need to pray that. They all become little monsters. But no one prays, would they be kicked out of preschool because of their anger? Would they join a, join a gang by the time they're seven? No one prays that. God's will does not mean we will always have ease, comfort, success. God's will does not guarantee you will marry young or at the age you want to, stay healthy, climb the corporate ladder. God's will does not mean your business will succeed. God's will does not mean the children you have tried to raise to know and love Jesus will actually know and love Jesus. It doesn't guarantee that, God's will does not guarantee our missionaries will return safely. At all times, God's sovereign will when it comes in contact with our experiences in our life, it may bring about things that we in our own will don't want. And some of you are here in the throes of suffering, emotional challenges, physical difficulties, terminal difficulties. What I want you to hear in that is, it does not automatically mean you're outside the will of God. Often, in our human experience on this side of the kingdom of God being made new and all things being made new. Submitting and praying your will be done means enduring difficulty, suffering. That's what it means when we pray your will be done. It means having community that carries us through those difficult seasons. It means seeing God, not just in this isolated moment, but as you see his will carried out over the scriptural history and you see his will always works out human good, always works out his glory and beginning to reorient your heart to believe that his will is good, even in the middle of a situation where your heart 
cries out for something else. The last way to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we need to look to Jesus in his model, as I've already said, but let me just try and bring this to practical things. You will not be able to pray this prayer, your will be done on your own. Especially as Western Americans, we want to be on the throne. It's just, we swim in that water. So to say your will is a very radical statement. In fact, the more and more you say that, the more and more people in your life will probably think that you're crazy. Because most people in our culture are very used to people defining for themselves whatever it is that's best for themselves. And so the more you're willing to actually obey the king, the more you're going to look strange. But the only way we're going to be able to do that is actually see Jesus in his model and his empowerment so we can humbly submit. You know, we have all kinds of challenging circumstances where our will doesn't happen. And so you have a coworker who is just a nasty person. They don't do their work. They just just make it seem like they're busier than they really are. They cheat. And then when you're up for a promotion among peers, that person gets it and you don't. How do you pray your will be done? Or maybe you begin to resent or resist God. The, The individual that you've been pursuing for some time ends up having their hearts drawn to someone else. And a few months later, they get married to that person, even though you believe to be better than that other person. Likely, this is a resentment that we feel towards God where you've worked really hard to graduate from university. You're excited to graduate. You come home and you reconnect with friends you haven't seen in a while and you begin that process of interviewing for your career and you spend the next three years looking for a job because the job market has tanked in your field and you don't have every single job, even entry-level jobs say that you have five years of experience. How do you get five years of experience? Well, you never, it's an entry-level job. It doesn't make any sense, but you can't get that job. And then you feel that resentment build up. You're likely to resent God's will when you're in your 40s and all of your friends have gotten married, but you've yet to find, find your beloved. You're likely to resist or resent God when you can't afford to live in the Bay Area anymore or raise your kids here and you're forced to make tough decisions about moving or making changes to your life to sustain being here. You're likely to resent God when your kids are out of control, defiant, yelling, attacking each other at home, and you're wondering, why did I have that third kid? Or fourth kid in our church, or seventh kid, or tenth kid in our church. It's amazing. You guys are being fruitful and multiplying. Praise God. But it's likely to resent God when you're trying to have a child, and you've been trying for the last ten years, and you can't. You're like, God, I, I, we got married young and we thought we had time and plans and now we're getting closer and closer to, to that age where it feels like we're beyond geriatric pregnancy. We're like dead pregnancy. It doesn't, like, God, how come you haven't given it to us yet? You're likely to resent God when you've been wrestling with physical needs and healing that haven't been met. How do you pray your will be done on earth as in heaven in those circumstances? It's through the Spirit. As you see Jesus in the garden, that begins to reshape you. That begins to get you back into orbit. So when your coworker gets the promotion that you really deserved and that person did not deserve, you are reminded of God's goodness in your life. 
you're reminded time and again that that goodness may not have occurred, but it doesn't mean that God ceased to be good in your life. Or you're in a fight in your marriage. Instead of pouring on gasoline to the flames of hostility, you remove the flames and you pursue reconciliation because you begin to see his will is better. Notice, notice, maybe in your life you're asking for healing physically and there's no improvement yet, but there's not resentment because as you look to Christ and the Spirit empowers you, begin to trust God, you see this is just temporary. That's why I'm always encouraged as I look at people who have had chronic, lifelong, they will never be healed injuries or illnesses in their life and their, their faith in God because they have an ability to see things beyond just in this moment. And so when they pray, your will be done, they see it not just from now, but they see it forever. When you're tempted to indulge in sexual sin, you're empowered by the Spirit to flee, to end that relationship, to turn, to do whatever you can to get distance from that temptation, to embody this idea that your whole self has been ransomed by God and your life is to be presented, your body is to be presented as a living sacrifice for the glory of God. Or maybe after many interviews and you're you're not getting callbacks, you're empowered by the Spirit not to resent because you begin to see that your identity is not found in that particular job that you've been pursuing, but God's opinion of you actually matters the most. And parents says, our kids throw the almighty tantrum in the most public of places. We don't resist or resent. We're empowered to love because we begin to see God has prayed on our behalf and Jesus empowers us to pray, your will be done. And so you don't despise them in the moment. You actually begin to calm yourself and come to them in love and embrace. Friends, this prayer, your will be done. I think it's probably the hardest one in the Lord's prayer. Uh, for Western individualistic people. But if we begin to pray this, if we humbly submit our lives to be aligned to the will of God, and we ask the Spirit to empower us to do that, that's when revival happens. That's when renewal happens. That's when flourishing happens in a church. That's when our lives begin to experience abundant life as Jesus promised to us. Friends, if we long for our church to mature and grow and be more like Jesus, we need to pray and align ourselves to your will be done. Friends, if we want our city to experience more flourishing, imagine if the Christians in our city all began to live out your will be done. What would happen to San Francisco if all of the, even though there's not thousands upon, isn't that a huge number of Christians relative to other cities in our country? What if just us in our city, the Christians, a limited amount of us, all increasingly prayed, your will be done in our lives, in our church, on earth, as, or in San Francisco just as it is in heaven. Think about what would happen to our city. Friends, the, the power of transformation that we long for, gospel transformed disciples of all peoples in our city and our world. This is one of those places. This is one of those keys for the power for this. And I think the reason we don't experience it as much as we want to is because we still want our will to be done. I still want my will to be done. 
I see that in my marriage. I see that in our church. Even as I wrestle, I'm just being very honest, as the, the struggles in church at times, I have to recognize at times the difference between what I believe to be wise and good and just wanting my way. And that's not always easy to tell. I've had to learn this the hard way at different times where I've I struggled with different leaders or different issues in our church. And I realized it's very easy to craft out a narrative that sounds righteous. But really, you could just be creating a context and story that actually is just pushing your will to be done. Because I look at Jesus' will. How did this king come to rule? As a baby. How did this triumphant, victorious king come to Jerusalem? On a donkey. How did he do battle and win against the forces of sin and death? He died for you. Friends, if we begin to pray, your will be done, God will do something amazing. And I pray that the Spirit would empower us to do that. Would you take a moment and pray with me before we continue to worship? Just allow those words in the Holy Spirit to use them in your heart. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe say them in your mind or say them softly in, your, in a whisper to yourself. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Spirit, help us to pray your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. Help us to pray that your will be done in our church as it is in heaven. Help us to pray your will be done in our city as it is in heaven. Help us to pray on your will be done on earth in this world as it is in heaven. Father, we need your help to do that. We need your spirit to do that, to cause our eyes to see Jesus in his obedience on our behalf, to cause us to see his sacrifice so that we could obey and, and be free to follow your will. Trust that if we surrender, we have a loving king. Dear Spirit, do that work of bringing you glory and bringing us to our good as we align ourselves to you in your will. Amen.